Good morning, everyone. Uh, I love billboards. Love billboards. They are, without a doubt, my favorite form of advertising. Uh, they are, I, I just, I, I love them. I love them when they're, when they're uh, very creative, when there's things like sticking out of them, when they're three-dimensional, I, uh, when, when they're very clever, when they have a witty saying on them. I chuckle to myself in the car. My wife's like, what are you laughing about? And I was like, oh, funny billboard. Uh, I just, I love billboards. I'm so fascinated by them, which is actually a problem because I get distracted while I'm driving by billboards, especially by the ones that change. You know, when the billboards change, I'm like, oh, what's it say now? You know, which, I mean, in, in Michigan, um, not, not necessarily a huge problem, but like when I'm driving in Indianapolis or Chicago or a few years ago, I was out to LA when I was driving out there, massive problem. Uh, massive problem. You cannot drive in places like that with a divided attention. And uh, as much as I love billboards, they really do divide my attention sometimes. Uh, we are talking about uh, the Jesus way. We're talking about the, the way in which Jesus calls us as his people to live. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus kind of outlines for us what that, that kingdom way, what his way looks like when it's lived out. He begins that sermon with a series of foundational truths that we refer to as the Beatitudes. Uh, that word Beatitude is not because those are the attitudes we're to be or have, uh, but because Beatitude comes from the Latin word for blessing, which is how each one of the Beatitudes begins. Blessed are. Uh, and, and so Jesus gives us these kind of eight foundational principles for his way of living, uh, these eight ways that, uh, these eight pillars that make up the Jesus way. And each one of them is a blessing to us. Blessed are you when. And uh, we have to remember that as we read these blessings, these foundational truths of our life, uh, that these blessings are not perhaps how we tend to think of blessings today, uh, where blessings are, are material th- uh, stuff or good things that happen to us. Uh, or um, the acquisition of wealth or power or privilege or or anything like that, Uh, Jesus and the New Testament, when they use the word blessing, almost exclusively they use that word in the context of relationship with God. And so as Jesus gives us these foundational truths, he is saying to us, when you live this way, you will discover a deep and abiding relationship with God. And so blessings uh, for us and blessings in the uh, Beatitudes are uh, not about stuff, but about, um, but about a state of divine joy that we find in nearness to God and not in uh, possessions or circumstances. And as we put these blessings, these beatitudes, these pillars of the Jesus way into practice, we find healing for our own lives. We find healing for our families. We find healing for our church. We find healing even for the world. And so in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins to outline his way of living with these blessings. And we've talked about um, several of them so far. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are humble, 
It said, blessed are those who mourn, who are willing to acknowledge that things aren't right and especially acknowledge their sin. Blessed are the meek, those who are willing to be gentle like Jesus and under the authority of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who know they need God and, and, and chase after the things of God more than the things of the world. Blessed are, are the merciful, those who are willing to forgive. And now we come to the sixth beatitude. And the sixth beatitude uh, is all about focus, not allowing our attention to be divided and distracted by the things around us as we move down the road that Jesus has called us to walk. So our, our sixth beatitude comes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. As Jesus speaks to us, he says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we hear that phrase, when we read that phrase, pure in heart, I think that, that all too often, at least for me, um, I, I have a tendency to try to turn that phrase, pure of heart, into some kind of like personal piety, or, or some kind of personal goodness. Ah, uh, yes, I must be a good person to see God. And, and that's actually kind of problematic because uh, when I do that, I almost always begin to judge my standard of goodness not by uh, what God tells me is good, but by what other people are doing. Ah, uh, oh, yes, I must be good in order to see God, and I'm definitely gooder than that person. Yes, I know gooder is not a word, all right? Uh, and we begin to, to, to kind of we begin to kind of think that we are pure in heart because we're not like them, whoever they happen to be, all right? But that's not really what Jesus is talking about when he talks about pure in heart. He's not talking about some kind of self-attained holiness. I mean, the entire Bible kind of screams to us that we can't manage that anyway, right? Like, that's why there's Jesus, that's why there's his sacrifice, you know, why he becomes the propitiation of our sins, so that, that we can have a holiness that does not come from ourselves because we're incapable of doing that in the first place. And so we gotta, gotta get that idea of being pure in heart as something that we can attain on our own out of our heads. So if pure in heart does not mean some kind of personal goodness or self-attained holiness, what does it mean when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart? Well, the general consensus among scholars and commentators and uh, theologians dating back for hundreds and thousands of years is that when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he is talking about people who have a single-mindedness when it comes to God. In other words, Jesus is saying that the pure in heart have an undivided focus. The pure in heart have an undivided focus. They are not distracted by the changing billboards of life, as it were. With a heart fully and wholly set on God. For us, living in um, modern Western civilization, when we talk about the heart, we tend to think about it as the seat of emotion. 
But for the early first century Jew, when that imagery is used of the heart, they're talking about the center of life. The heart contained the, the, the center of, of life. Our emotions, yes, but, but also our, our will, our decision-making ability, our priorities, the things that we thought were important. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying, blessed are those who with their whole life, their all, will center themselves on God and Worship him and follow him and be devoted to him alone. One of my favorite uh, singers of all time is um, the great Rich Mullins, who in one of his albums wrote a song called My One Thing, where he talks about God being that one thing that is necessary for life. And he, he writes this in that song. He says, save me from the things that might distract me. Please take them away and purify my heart. I don't want to lose the eternal for the things that are passing. Because what will I have when the world is gone if it isn't for the love that goes on and on with my one thing? So often the world seeks to distract us. So often the world seeks to pull our attention away with, with things that are, are, are good and worthwhile, our, our, our work, uh, our involvement in our communities, uh, our involvement in our kids' schools, and, and then their, their bands and their athletics and their extracurriculars and, and, and our involvement in friendships and, and all these things that are, are really good. And with things that are less than good. The world seeks to pull our attention away to other things as well, to vices, to evil, to sin. And so we're pulled and stretched and distracted on all sides, and Jesus is calling for people who will have pure hearts, who will focus wholly, who will have an undivided focus on the Lord their God. And, and this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about making God that one thing in our life that we'll be focused on. And as Jesus says this to us, blessed are the pure in heart, it would be impossible for his hearers on that hillside in Galilee in the first century not to have their imaginations and their minds drawn backwards into the Old Testament. I know that in the church we tend to call ourselves a New Testament people, that we're a New Testament church, but listen, when we ignore the Old Testament, it is much to our own detriment. So much of what Jesus says to us is based out of the Old Testament scriptures that he was raised with and that he knew so well and that, that he even made a part of himself so that when he was tempted, he had them on hand uh, to, to ward off temptation. And, and so the, the earliest um, listeners to the, the Sermon on the Mount would have heard Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart, and their minds would have immediately have gone back to the Psalms. The 24th Psalm, to verses 3 and 4, which say this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who may see God? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Who may see God? 
only the pure of heart, those who are wholly focused on God, only those who have made God their highest and sole priority will uh, take the time to climb the mountain of the Lord, to enter into his holy place. Only they will have the will and the determination to shove aside the things of the world that so easily distract us in order to walk the steep and narrow path to where God may be found. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? The pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are focused on Jesus, on his way, on his law, on his kingdom. And the New Testament agrees with the Old Testament in this matter. Colossians chapter 3, which we read a couple of weeks ago, verse 1 of that chapter reads like this. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're to have our hearts focused on the things that are above, the things that are from God, things like mercy and grace and love and sanctification and forgiveness and charity and kindness and peace. We're to make God our number one everything, our number one priority, our number one relationship. This is why when Jesus is asked what is the greatest command, he answers the way that he does. You may recall this encounter that Jesus has. He's been uh, teaching in Jerusalem. It's toward the end of his life. He's, he's teaching in the temple courts, and the, the religious um, elites of the day are kind of trying to trap Jesus, and they're kind of trying to trick him and trap him and, and trip him up with different questions, and, and they can't do it. So finally, this is what happens. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 38. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who love God with their whole heart. Blessed are those who have their hearts set on things above. Blessed are those who will love God with their whole everything. And because the pure in heart are entirely focused on God, it then begins to shape how we see and interact with and treat people around us. Because not only are the pure in heart filled with an undivided focus toward God, but the pure in heart also become pure toward others. In fact, the pure in heart must be pure toward others. Anyone who is familiar with that greatest commandment knows that I only read half of Jesus' answer, right? Jesus doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and then stop there. 
Now, Jesus, uh, when he's asked what the single greatest commandment is, cannot help himself, he responds with not one but two commandments, right? Because for Jesus, these two things are inseparable. And, And so Jesus continues his answer in Matthew 22 and verses 39 and 40 when he says this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. My grandmother uh, was an amazing and wonderful woman and, and one of the most godly women I ever met. And uh, I got the chance to live with her and my grandfather while I was in college for a summer um, because my internship was close to where they lived. And during that three months that I lived with my my. Uh, grandparents, my grandmother um, preached to me on a fairly regular basis, and she knew five sermons. She wouldn't call them sermons. They were just stories that she told. My grandfather would call them sermons. In fact, after she was done with every story, he would say, and now we will collect the offering. (laughs) But one of the stories that my grandmother told was about this passage of Scripture. And she would always stop in the middle of her story And point her finger at me and say, Jesus says the second is like the first. The second is like the first. The second is like the first. Again and again, I don't know how many times that summer I heard the second is like the first. Because my grandmother understood something about this passage that we have to understand. These two commands are inseparable. And we cannot love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind if we are unwilling to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is impossible to separate these two things. We cannot be devoted to loving God without being devoted to loving others. It cannot happen. In fact, we are commanded, we are commanded that not only are we to have pure hearts toward God, but we are to have pure encounters with others as well. That we are to treat each other with purity. Paul talks about this when he writes to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. The opening verses of that chapter, verses 1 and 2, read like this, as Paul tells Timothy how he's relate to relate to other Christians. He says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And and from what I am able to understand from the original Greek text, that with absolute purity applies to all four categories of people that Paul has just mentioned. That we're to treat older men and older women and younger men and younger women with absolute purity. Which really is Paul's fancy way of saying everybody because those are the only four categories of people, right? There's either people older than you or younger than you, either male or female. So it doesn't matter if they're older or younger, male or female, how should we treat them? With absolute purity. With the purity of love that comes from being purely devoted to God, from being pure in heart. This word purity here is related to the same word from which we get holiness. 
And so we're to treat people with absolute holiness. We're to treat them as though God has imparted his holiness on them, just as he has on us. And man, if we began to treat people with absolute purity and with love and with holiness, wouldn't that bring healing into our lives? If we began to see other people as just as worthy of love as we are, if we began to see people as loved by God just like we're loved by God, if we began to to see people in the light of Christ's holiness as someone he gave his life for, wouldn't that transform how we look at them, how we interact with them, even when we disagree with them? In fact, purity toward one another is so important that until we are pure in heart toward others, we cannot be pure in heart toward God. Until we learn to love others, we cannot love God. The Bible makes this abundantly clear to us in the little book of 1 John toward the end of the New Testament. Here's just one verse from that book. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Blessed are the pure in heart. And I love that imagery from Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Only those who have a pure heart and clean hands. A pure heart wholly devoted to God and clean hands the way that we treat one another with absolute purity. And so as we live this pure in heartedness, we're offered this promise by Jesus, this this joyful assurance that when we live wholly devoted to God and loving our neighbor out of our love for God, that we will indeed see God. And we look forward to that, don't we? I know I do. I look forward to seeing God. I look forward to that someday promise becoming a reality, but all too often we keep that promise as a someday promise. I think when Jesus spoke to the crowds on the side of the hill that day, he had something a little more immediate in mind. We will see God, yes, someday, but also today. For the pure in heart, Live like God's kingdom is already here. The pure in heart live like God's kingdom is already here. In the Old Testament, the book of Job, uh, Job says, I know that my flesh is going to fail, and after my flesh fails, I will see God with my own eyes. I believe that. I believe that that's true, that after my flesh fails, I will see God with my own eyes. I absolutely believe that 100%. 
but there is a sense in which we know and see God in the present as well. We see him when we learn to live as people who are pure in heart, who have undivided lives, who are wholly committed to Christ and his kingdom. When we are people who learn to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our everything, and who learn to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, That's what kingdom living looks like. In fact, when, when we look at the kingdom life that the earliest Christians had throughout the New Testament, we find people who are becoming fully devoted, solely focused on God, and who are loving their neighbors in real, tangible, and practical ways. Because they have begun to believe and begun to understand that when they are pure in heart, they will see God. In fact, James, Jesus' half-brother, talks about this kind of pure-heartedness in religious context in his letter. James chapter 1, verse 27, one of my favorite and most challenging verses in the entire Bible. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, being pure-hearted toward God and out of that pure-heartedness, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the core of all pure religion. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world, to keep one's heart and soul and mind from, from being divided between God and other things. To look after orphans and widows, those who cannot look after themselves. To love our neighbors. If we're going to live like this, and we're going to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who have an undivided focus on the Lord. Blessed are those who walk with clean hands and a pure heart, for they will see God. If we're going to see God, we need a pure heart and clean hands. And that's why still in the book of James, he echoes Psalm 24. Later in his writing, he says this in James chapter 4, verse 8. He says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God. With a pure heart, with an undivided focus, an undivided life. Seeking the Lord your God with everything that's in you, loving the Lord your God with everything you've got. Come near to God by washing your hands, 
having clean hands, treating others around you with integrity and holiness and purity and love? Are you living with a pure heart and clean hands? I know that we would like to think that we are. I have been here for six weeks now. And every week that I have been here, someone in this building has talked to me about hurt and division in this congregation. Every week. We need a pure heart and clean hands. If this church will heal, if this church will be ready to move forward, if this church will will grow and be a beacon for the kingdom of God, we must have pure hearts and clean hands. Our hurt and division will never go away until we have an undivided focus on God and a purity of action toward one another. So with that in mind, here are our action steps this week. Two things that I'd like to invite you to do with me. The first is a simple prayer. Would you take time this week to pray this with me? Would you ask God for an undivided heart? Would you ask God for that with me? Just God, give me an undivided heart. Help me chase after you, after your son, after your kingdom, after the things that are of you. Help me to, help me to set aside the distractions of this world. Help those billboards not to, not to divide my attention. Would you pray that with me and ask God for an undivided heart? And then let me invite you to do this this week as well. And this will look different for each one of you. But would you choose some practical ways to love your brothers and sisters this week? How can you love your brothers and sisters? Maybe it's sending a note. Maybe it's picking up the phone and giving them a call. Maybe it's, it's leaving them a, a nice message on Facebook. Maybe it's taking dinner over to them. Maybe it's just sitting and listening to them, listening to the hurt and heartache that they're carrying. Maybe you've got some other great ideas. Maybe, maybe you love to crochet. Maybe it's time to crochet somebody, something. Maybe you, maybe you love to do woodworking. Maybe it's time to do that for someone. Take some time this week and choose some practical ways to love your brothers and sisters, especially those from whom you feel a great distance. There are people that you know you don't see eye to eye with. There are people that, that you're harboring grudges toward. There are people that, that you just you find it hard to get along with. There are people that, that if they sat down in the same pew with you, you wouldn't get up and move, but you might slide down just a little bit those are the people to love. Choose some practical ways to love your brothers and sisters this week from a pure heart and with clean hands. We need that purity of heart. We need an undivided focus on God that leads to loving each other deeply and practically. I have been told I don't know how many times that I cannot judge another person's heart and that's true, that's God's business. But I can tell what's in a person's heart by looking at their actions.
by looking at how they treat people, by looking at how they talk to people or talk about people. And if I can do that, so can the world. The world can look at the church and see how we behave and see how we speak and they can see what's in our heart. And the world will never believe, they will never believe, never, they will never believe that we serve a God of love, that we serve a God of hope, that we serve a God of grace and that we serve a God of peace and forgiveness until they see people who are pure in heart with an undivided focus on God and loving other people in his name. So may we learn to be pure in heart that we might see God and that others through us might see him too. Father, we thank you for the word of Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart that they might see God. Father, uh, it's so challenging so challenging to live an undivided life, to have an undivided heart, to walk with an undivided focus. Oh, there's so many things, so many distractions. Father, we know what they are. Each, all of us have them. Father, we pray for a pure heart. We pray for a life centered fully on you. And we pray that out of that life centered fully on you, as we learn to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind, that you would give us clean hands, that we might love our neighbor as ourselves, that we might treat one another with absolute purity. Father, we pray this so that we might see you someday and today, so that we might see you at work in our lives, we might see you at work in our families, we might see you at work in our church, we might see you at work in our nation and in our world. And so that others might see too. So that they might come and dedicate their whole hearts to you. So that they would know you as well. We ask for this in the name of Jesus who lived with an undivided, pure heart. Amen.